chapter eight of recollections and letters of general robert e lee by robert e lee jr this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eight the surrender fort fisher captured lee made commander-in-chief battle of five forks retreat of the army of northern virginia farewell to his men the general's reception in richmond after the surrender president davis hears the news lee's visitors his son robert turns farmer the year eighteen sixty five had now commenced the strength of that thin gray line drawn out to less than one thousand men to the mile which had repulsed every attempt of the enemy to break through it was daily becoming less the capture of fort fisher our last open port january fifteenth cut off all supplies and munitions from the outside world sherman had reached savannah in december from which point he was ready to unite with grant at any time from general lee's letters official and private one gets a clear view of the desperateness of his position he had been made commander-in-chief of all the military forces in the confederate states on february the sixth in his order issued on accepting this command he says deeply impressed with the difficulties and responsibilities of the position and humbly invoking the guidance of almighty god i rely for success upon the courage and fortitude of the army sustained by the patriotism and firmness of the people confident that their united efforts under the blessing of heaven will secure peace and independence general beauregard who had so ably defended petersburg when it was first attacked and who had assisted so materially in its subsequent defence had been sent to gather troops to try to check sherman's advance through the carolinas but beauregard's health was now very bad and it was feared he would have to abandon the field in a letter to the secretary of war dated february twenty one eighteen sixty five my father says in the event of the necessity of abandoning our position on james river i shall endeavor to unite the corps of the army about burkeville footnote junction of southside and danville railroad end note so as to retain communication with the north and south as long as practicable and also with the west i should think lynchburg or some point west the most advantageous place to which to remove stores from virginia this however is a most difficult point at this time to decide and the place may have to be changed by circumstances it was my intention in my former letter to apply for general joseph e johnston that i might assign him to duty should circumstances permit i have had no official report of the condition of general beauregard's health it is stated from many sources to be bad if he should break down entirely it might be fatal in that event i should have no one with whom to supply his place i therefore respectfully request general johnston may be ordered to report to me and that i may be informed where he is in a letter to the secretary of war written the next day but you may expect sheridan to move up the valley and stoneman from knoxville as sherman draws near roanoke what then will become of those sections of the country i know of no other troops that could be given to beauregard bragg will be forced back by schofield i fear and until i abandon james river nothing can be sent from this army grant i think is now preparing to draw out by his left with the intent of enveloping me he may wait till his other columns approach nearer or he may be preparing to anticipate my withdrawal i cannot tell yet 
everything of value should be removed from richmond it is of the first importance to save all powder the cavalry and artillery of the army are still scattered for want of provender and our supply and ammunition trains which ought to be with the army in case of a sudden movement are absent collecting provisions and forage some in western virginia and some in north carolina you will see to what straits we are reduced but i trust to work out on the same day in a letter to my mother he writes after sending my note this morning i received from the express office a bag of socks you will have to send down your offerings as soon as you can and bring your work to a close for i think general grant will move against us soon within a week if nothing prevents and no man can tell what may be the result but trusting to a merciful god who does not always give the battle to the strong i pray we may not be overwhelmed i shall however endeavor to do my duty and fight to the last should it be necessary to abandon our position to prevent being surrounded what will you do you must consider the question and make up your mind it is a fearful condition and we must rely for guidance and protection upon a kind providence about this time i saw my father for the last time until after the surrender we had been ordered up to the army from our camp nearly forty miles away reaching the vicinity of petersburg the morning of the attack of general gordon on fort stedman on march twenty fifth my brother and i had ridden ahead of the division to report its presence when we met the general riding traveller almost alone back from that part of the lines opposite the fort since then i have often recalled the sadness of his face its careworn expression when he caught sight of his two sons a bright smile at once lit up his countenance and he showed very plainly his pleasure at seeing us he thanked my brother for responding so promptly to his call upon him and regretted that events had so shaped themselves that the division would not then be needed as he had hoped it would be no good results followed gordon's gallant attack his supports did not come up at the proper time and our losses were very heavy mostly prisoners two days after this sheridan with ten thousand mounted men joined grant having marched from the valley of virginia via staunton and charlottesville on the twenty eighth everything being ready general grant commenced to turn our right and having more than three men to our one he had no difficult task on that very day my father wrote to my mother i have received your note with a bag of socks i return the bag and receipt the count is all right this time i have put in the bag general scott's autobiography which i thought you might like to read the general of course stands out prominently and does not hide his light under a bushel but he appears the bold sagacious truthful man that he is i enclose a note from little agnes i shall be very glad to see her to-morrow but cannot recommend pleasure trips now on april first the battle of five forks was fought where about fifty thousand infantry and cavalry more men that were in our entire army attacked our extreme right and turned it so that to save our communications we had to abandon our lines at petersburg giving up that city and richmond from that time to april ninth the army of northern virginia struggled to get back to some position where it could concentrate its forces and make a stand but the whole world knows of that six days retreat i shall not attempt to describe it in detail indeed i could not if i would for i was not present all the time but will quote from those who have made it a study and who are far better fitted to record it than i am 
general early in his address at lexington virginia january nineteenth eighteen seventy two general lee's birthday eloquently and briefly describes these six days as follows the retreat from the lines of richmond and petersburg began in the early days of april and the remnant of the army of northern virginia fell back more than one hundred miles before its overpowering antagonist repeatedly presenting front to the latter and giving battle so as to check his progress finally from mere exhaustion less than eight thousand men with arms in their hands of the noblest army that ever fought in the tide of time were surrendered at appomattox to an army of a hundred and fifty thousand men the sword of robert e lee without a blemish on it was sheathed forever and the flag to which he had added such lustre was furled to be henceforth embalmed in the affectionate remembrance of those who remained faithful during all our trials and will do so to the end colonel archer anderson in his address at the unveiling of the lee monument in richmond virginia may twenty ninth eighteen ninety speaking of the siege of petersburg and of the surrender utters these noble words of the siege of petersburg i have only time to say that in it for nine months the confederate commander displayed every art by which genius and courage can make good the lack of numbers and resources but the increasing misfortunes of the confederate arms on other theatres of the war gradually cut off the supply of men and means the army of northern virginia ceased to be recruited it ceased to be adequately fed it lived for months on less than one-third rations it was demoralized not by the enemy in its front but by the enemy in georgia and the carolinas it dwindled to thirty-five thousand men holding a front of thirty-five miles but over the enemy it still cast the shadow of its great name again and again by a bold offensive it arrested the federal movement to fasten on its communications at last an irresistible concentration of forces broke through its long thin line of battle petersburg had to be abandoned richmond was evacuated trains bearing supplies were intercepted and a starving army harassed for seven days by incessant attacks on rear and flank found itself completely hemmed in by overwhelming masses nothing remained to it but its stainless honor its unbroken courage in those last solemn scenes when strong men losing all self-control broke down and sobbed like children lee stood forth as great as in the days of victory and triumph no disaster crushed his spirit no extremity of danger ruffled his bearing in the agony of dissolution now invading that proud army which for four years had wrested victory from every peril in that blackness of utter darkness he preserved the serene lucidity of his mind he looked the stubborn facts calmly in the face and when no military resource remained when he recognized the impossibility of making another march or fighting another battle he bowed his head in submission to that power which makes and unmakes nations the surrender of the fragments of the army of northern virginia closed the imperishable record of his military life from the london standard at the time of his last illness i quote these words relating to this retreat when the army of northern virginia marched out of the lines around petersburg and richmond it still numbered some twenty six thousand men 
after a retreat of six days in the face of an overwhelming enemy with a crushing artillery a retreat impeded by constant fighting and harassed by constant hordes of cavalry eight thousand were given up by the capitulation at appomattox courthouse brilliant as were general lee's earlier triumphs we believe that he gave higher proofs of genius in his last campaign and that hardly any of his victories were so honourable to himself and his army as that of his six days retreat swinton in his history of the army of the potomac after justly praising its deeds thus speaks of its great opponent the army of northern virginia nor can there fail to arise the image of that other army that was the adversary of the army of the potomac and who that once looked upon it can ever forget it that array of tattered uniforms and bright muskets that body of incomparable infantry the army of northern virginia which for four years carried the revolt on its bayonets opposing a constant front to the mighty concentration of power brought against it which receiving terrible blows did not fail to give the like and which vital in all its parts died only with its annihilation general long in speaking of its hardships and struggles during the retreat thus describes how the army looked up to their commander and trusted him to bring them through all their troubles general lee had never appeared more grandly heroic than on this occasion all eyes were raised to him for a deliverance which no human power seemed able to give he alone was expected to provide food for the starving army and rescue it from the attacks of a powerful and eager enemy under the accumulation of difficulties his courage seemed to expand and wherever he appeared his presence inspired the weak and weary with renewed energy to continue the toilsome march during these trying scenes his countenance wore its habitual calm grave expression those who watched his face to catch a glimpse of what was passing in his mind could gather thence no trace of his inner sentiments no one can tell what he suffered he did in all things what he considered right self he absolutely abandoned as he said so he believed that human virtue should equal human calamity a day or two before the surrender he said to general pendleton i have never believed we could against the gigantic combination for our subjugation make good in the long run our independence unless foreign powers should directly or indirectly assist us but such considerations really made with me no difference we had i was satisfied sacred principles to maintain and rights to defend for which we were in duty bound to do our best even if we perished in the endeavor after his last attempt was made with gordon and fitz lee to break through the lines of the enemy in the early morning of the ninth and colonel venable informed him that it was not possible he said then there is nothing left me but to go and see general grant when some one near him hearing this said oh general what will history say of the surrender of the army in the field he replied yes i know they will say hard things of us they will not understand how we were overwhelmed by numbers but that is not the question colonel the question is is it right to surrender this army if it is right then i will take all the responsibility there had been some correspondence with grant just before the conversation with general pendleton after gordon's attack failed a flag of truce was sent out and about eleven o'clock general lee went to meet general grant 
the terms of surrender were agreed upon and then general lee called attention to the pressing needs of his men he said i have a thousand or more of your men and officers whom we have required to march along with us for several days i shall be glad to send them to your lines as soon as it can be arranged for i have no provisions for them my own men have been living for the last few days principally upon parched corn and we are badly in need of both rations and forage grant said he would at once send him twenty-five thousand rations general lee told him that amount would be ample and would be a great relief he then rode back to his troops the rations issued then to our army were the supplies destined for us but captured at amelia courthouse had they reached us in time they would have given the half-starved troops that were left strength enough to make a further struggle general long graphically pictures the last scenes it is impossible to describe the anguish of the troops when it was known that the surrender of the army was inevitable of all their trials this was the greatest and hardest to endure there was no consciousness of shame each heart could boast with honest pride that its duty had been done to the end and that still unsullied remained its honor when after his interview with general grant general lee again appeared a shout of welcome instinctively went up from the army but instantly recollecting the sad occasion that brought him before them their shouts sank into silence every hat was raised and the bronze faces of thousands of grim warriors were bathed in tears as he rode slowly along the lines hundreds of his devoted veterans pressed around the noble chief trying to take his hand touch his person or even lay their hands upon his horse thus exhibiting for him their real affection the general then with head bare and tears flowing freely down his manly cheeks bade adieu to the army in a few words men we have fought through the war together i have done my best for you my heart is too full to say more he bade them good-bye and told them to return to their homes and become good citizens the next day he issued his farewell address the last order published to the army headquarters army of northern virginia april tenth eighteen sixty five after four years of arduous service marked by unsurpassed courage and fortitude the army of northern virginia has been compelled to yield to overwhelming numbers and resources i need not tell the survivors of so many hard-fought battles who have remained steadfast to the last that i have consented to this result from no distrust of them but feeling that valor and devotion could accomplish nothing that could compensate for the loss that would have attended the continuation of the contest i have determined to avoid the useless sacrifice of those whose past services have endeared them to their countrymen by the terms of the agreement officers and men can return to their homes and remain there until exchanged you will take with you the satisfaction that proceeds from the consciousness of duty faithfully performed and i earnestly pray that a merciful god will extend to you his blessing and protection with an increasing admiration of your constancy and devotion to your country and a grateful remembrance of your kind and generous consideration of myself i bid you an affectionate farewell r e lee general general long says that general meade called on general lee on the tenth and in the course of conversation remarked 
now that the war may be considered over i hope you will not deem it improper for me to ask for my personal information the strength of your army during the operations about richmond and petersburg general lee replied at no time did my force exceed thirty-five thousand men often it was less with a look of surprise meade answered general you amaze me we always estimated your force at about seventy thousand men general de chanel a french officer who was present states that general lee who had been an associate of meade's in the engineers in the old army said to him pleasantly meade years are telling on you your hair is getting quite gray ah general lee was meade's prompt reply it is not the work of years you are responsible for my gray hairs three days after the surrender says long the army of northern virginia had dispersed in every direction and three weeks later the veterans of a hundred battles had exchanged the musket and the sword for the implements of husbandry it is worthy of remark that never before was there an army disbanded with less disorder thousands of soldiers were set adrift in the world without a penny in their pockets to enable them to reach their homes yet none of the scenes of riot that often follow the disbanding of armies marked their course a day or two after the surrender general lee started for richmond riding traveller who had carried him so well all through the war he was accompanied by some of his staff on the way he stopped at the house of his eldest brother charles carter lee who lived on the upper james in powhatan county he spent the evening in talking with his brother but when bedtime came though begged by his host to take the room and bed prepared for him he insisted on going to his old tent pitched by the roadside and passed the night in the quarters that he was accustomed to on april fifteenth he arrived in richmond the people there soon recognized him men women and children crowded around him cheering and waving hats and handkerchiefs it was more like the welcome to a conqueror than to a defeated prisoner on parole he raised his hat in response to their greetings and rode quietly to his home on franklin street where my mother and sisters were anxiously awaiting him thus he returned to that private family life for which he had always longed and became what he always desired to be a peaceful citizen in a peaceful land in attempting to describe these last days of the army of northern virginia i have quoted largely from long jones taylor and fitz lee all of whom have given more or less full accounts of the movements of both armies it so happened that shortly after we left our lines april second or third in one of the innumerable contests my horse was shot and in getting him and myself off the field having no choice of routes the pursuing federal cavalry intervened between me and the rest of our command so i had to make my way around the head of sheridan's advance squadrons before i could rejoin our forces this i did not succeed in accomplishing until april the ninth the day of the surrender for my wounded horse had to be left with a farmer who kindly gave me one of his own in exchange saying i could send him back when i was able or if i was prevented that i could keep him and he would replace him with mine when he got well as i was riding toward appomattox on the ninth i met a body of our cavalry with general t h rosser at the head he told me that general lee and his army had surrendered and that this force had made its way out and was marching back to lynchburg expecting thence to reach general johnston's army 
to say that i was surprised does not express my feelings i had never heard the word surrender mentioned nor even suggested in connection with our general or our army i could not believe it and did not until i was positively assured by all my friends who were with rosser's column that it was absolutely so very sadly i turned back and went to lynchburg along with them there i found some wagons from our headquarters which had been sent back and with them the horses and servants of the staff these i got together not believing for an instant that our struggle was over and with several officers from our command and others we made our way to greensboro north carolina there i found mr davis and his cabinet and representatives of the confederate departments from richmond there was a great diversity of opinions amongst all present as to what we should do after waiting a couple of days looking over the situation from every point of view consulting with my uncle commodore s s lee of the confederate navy and with many others old friends of my father and staunch adherents of the southern cause it was determined to go back to virginia to get our paroles go home and go to work while at greensboro i went to see president davis just before he proceeded on his way farther south he was calm and dignified and in his conversation with several officers of rank who were there seemed to think and so expressed himself that our cause was not lost though sorely stricken and that we could rally our forces west of the mississippi and make good our fight while i was in the room mr davis received the first official communication from general lee of his surrender colonel john taylor wood his aide-de-camp had taken me in to see the president and he and i were standing by him when the dispatch from general lee was brought to him upon reading it he handed it without comment to us then turning away he silently wept bitter tears he seemed quite broken at the moment by this tangible evidence of the loss of his army and the misfortune of its general all of us respecting his great grief silently withdrew leaving him with colonel wood i never saw him again i started for richmond accompanied by several companions with the servants and horses belonging to our headquarters these i had brought down with me from lynchburg where i had found them after the surrender after two weeks of marching and resting i arrived in richmond and found my father there in the house on franklin street now the rooms of the virginia historical society and also my mother brother and sisters they were all much relieved at my reappearance as well as i can recall my father at this time he appeared to be very well physically though he looked older grayer more quiet and reserved he seemed very tired and was always glad to talk of any other subject than that of the war or anything pertaining thereto we all tried to cheer and help him and the people of richmond and of the entire south were as kind and considerate as it was possible to be indeed i think their great kindness tired him he appreciated it all was courteous grateful and polite but he had been under such a terrible strain for several years that he needed the time and quiet to get back his strength of heart and mind all sorts and conditions of people came to see him officers and soldiers from both armies statesmen politicians ministers of the gospel mothers and wives to ask about husbands and sons of whom they had heard nothing to keep him from being overtaxed by this incessant stream of visitors we formed a sort of guard of the young men in the house some of whom took it by turns to keep the door and if possible turn strangers away 
my father was gentle kind and polite to all and never willingly so far as i know refused to see any one dan lee late of the confederate states navy my first cousin and myself one day had charge of the front door when at it appeared a federal soldier accompanied by a darkey carrying a large willow basket filled to the brim with provisions of every kind the man was irish all over and showed by his uniform and carriage that he was a regular and not a volunteer on our asking him what he wanted he replied that he wanted to see general lee that he had heard down the street the general and his family were suffering for lack of something to eat that he had been with the colonel when he commanded the second cavalry and as long as he had a cent his old colonel should not suffer my father who had stepped into another room as he heard the bell ring hearing something of the conversation came out into the hall the old irishman as soon as he saw him drew himself up and saluted and repeated to the general with tears streaming down his cheeks what he had just said to us my father was very much touched thanked him heartily for his kindness and generosity but told him that he did not need the things he had brought and could not take them this seemed to disappoint the old soldier greatly and he pleaded so hard to be allowed to present the supplies to his old colonel whom he believed to be in want of them that at last my father said that he would accept the basket and send it to the hospital for the sick and wounded who were really in great need though he was not satisfied he submitted to this compromise and then to our surprise and dismay in bidding the general good-bye threw his arms around him and was attempting to kiss him when dan and i interfered as he was leaving he said good-bye colonel god bless ye if i could have got over in time i would have been with ye a day or two after that when dan was doorkeeper three federal officers a colonel a major and a doctor called and asked to see general lee they were shown into the parlor presented their cards and said they desired to pay their respects as officers of the united states army when dan went out with the three cards he was told by someone that my father was upstairs engaged with some other visitor so he returned and told them this and they departed when my father came down was shown the cards and told of the three visitors he was quite put out at dan's not having brought him the cards at the time and that afternoon mounted him on one of his horses and sent him over to manchester where they were camped to look up the three officers and to tell them he would be glad to see them at any time they might be pleased to call however dan failed to find them he had another visit at this time which affected him deeply two confederate soldiers in very dilapidated clothing worn and emaciated in body came to see him they said they had been selected from about sixty other fellows too ragged to come themselves to offer him a home in the mountains of virginia the home was a good house and farm and near by was a defile in some rugged hills from which they could defy the entire federal army they made this offer of a home and their protection because there was a report that he was about to be indicted for treason the general had to decline to go with them but the tears came into his eyes at this hearty exhibition of loyalty after being in richmond a few days and by the advice of my father getting my parole from the united states provost-marshal there the question as to what i should do came up 
my father told me that i could go back to college if i desired and prepare myself for some profession that he had a little money which he would be willing and glad to devote to the completion of my education i think he was strongly in favour of my going back to college at the same time he told me that if i preferred it i could take possession of my farmland in king william county which i had inherited from my grandfather mr custis and make my home there as there was little left of the farm but the land he thought he could arrange to help me build a house and purchase stock and machinery my brother general w h f lee had already gone back to his place the white house in new kent county with major john lee our first cousin had erected a shanty and gone to work breaking up land for a corn crop putting their cavalry horses to the plough as i thought my father had use for any means he might have in caring for my mother and sister and as i had this property i determined to become a farmer however i did not decide positively and in the meantime it was thought best that i should join my brother and cousin at the white house and help them make their crop of corn in returning to richmond i had left at hickory hill general wickham's place in hanover county our horses and servants taken with me from lynchburg to greensboro and back so bidding all my friends and family good-bye i went by rail to hickory hill and started the next day with three servants and about eight horses for new kent stopping the first night at pompatiki the next day i reached the white house where the reinforcements i brought with me were hailed with delight though i've been a farmer from that day to this i will say that the crop of corn which we planted that summer with ourselves and army servants as labourers and our old cavalry horses as teams and which we did not finish planting until the ninth of june was the best i ever made End of chapter eight